perspective. From Danzig to death, to Dark Throne to Dr. Shrinker. Buckle up, things are about to get heavy. This is the Metal Podcast. Let's rock and roll. And welcome to another episode of the Metal Podcast. The best show with DJ on it. I am AC and I am joined as usual by the greatest co-host, but also the worst at, uh, <laughs> beefing me up. DJ, how are you doing? Uh, I'm going to get better. I promise, but I, I'm doing fantastic. How are you today? I am great. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had a pretty, pretty unique set of, uh, weeks We're we're, <laughs> we're going to keep this going. Like we, we got another guest director of, uh, get thrashed. Uh, Rick Ernst, how are you, my friend? What's up, guys? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Decade-old film, and you're still wanting to talk about it. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. It's, Love it. It's relevant, man. It's well, awesome. yeah. amazing. Yeah, so, the, the, and that's that's uh, something that we, we bring up. So, do you like uh, grunge? I do, actually. Okay. I do. So, h- how come there are there's more interest in thrash metal now and more bands that are thrash than grunge because grunge was the thing that kind of destroyed metal, but metal is still popping up despite not, not really popping up in the mainstream, but like, you know, how many years was it? 15 years since you made that? Yeah. 2008, it came out. So 15 years. Wow. But I, I think what you have is you have a group of fans, metal fans and thrash metal fans that are diehard. It's almost passed down through the generations, through the DNA, and it's worldwide. So I think you have a worldwide phenomenon that, um, you know, it may be pushed down a little bit, may go underground, but it's, it's always there. You know, grunge was like a shining star, a shooting star that just, you know, kind of exploded for a few years and was huge. And then, you know, of course, the biggest bands in that genre are no longer with us. Nirvana, mm-hmm. you know, and Soundgarden, unfortunately. You know, I love both those bands, but they're not here. Alice in Chains, right? So you take some of the biggest bands of that genre, they're no longer here. You look at the what they call the big four, and you can talk about the big 10 or 12, and they're all, you know, in some way, shape, or form, still around thrash metal. You know, whether it's Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth, Testament, Exodus, I mean, all these bands are still around in some shape or form to kind of, you know, push the genre forward and also to remind people of how great this music was. You don't really have that for grunge. It's more of a nostalgia, in my opinion, because those bands are no longer here, you know, uh, pounding the pavement, playing shows, getting people excited and re, you know, interested in the music. Grunge is, you know, uh, I, I think it's a smaller, less enthusiastic crowd you know, than, than the metal fans. I think it was very much a product of its era too, but I think that's a a lot of, of music is in general like that where grunge was very big for a very small period of time. But what what I I use that as, as the example, because if you go watch any behind the music for like every single hair metal band, and they're always, there's always this section they thought the party would never end, but then along <laughs> came Nirvana. It's in all of them, but, and, and yeah. there's, there's probably not so many hair metal bands popping up. DJ and I saw like a, a recent one, like, you know, some years back and 
And yeah, well, I'll tell that story some other time, but (laughs) like thrash metal is still, and not just thrash metal, like death metal, black metal is, as far Mm -hmm. as I'm concerned, metal, like real metal is like the, like the, the real nitty gritty of it is it's thrash death and black metal. And these genres now, while especially death and black metal never really got commercial success where, where thrash metal did like, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, you anthrax, uh, Slayer, but death metal and black metal it's like you can go to a club in a major city where they're still doing like metal nights or whatever or someone opening for whatever kind of legacy band is still going around and you're going to still see real death metal and, and real black metal but bands like whether it's grunge or uh even like new wave or uh disco all these things that were pretty much just a a reflection of the era metal is kind of the, the sore thumb where it's just kind of an evolution of rock and roll where I don't think grunge is an evolution of rock and roll. It's almost kind of like a manifestation of the nineties nihilism, which is kind of the come down of the eighties cocaine parties. And it, it, it can't, it was never really captured because the youth had never been as decadent as it was in the nineties, like the, in the years after. Cause like what, like what were the bands that came after grunge? It was like Eve six, third eye blind, vertical horizon. Is that's, that's, that's another big thing is that, you know, get thrash talks about, you know, thrash metal and what thrash metal gave birth to, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's death metal, black metal, or a bunch of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. young kids playing their version of thrash metal. In some cases, you know, it was almost exactly the version that Exodus was playing, you know? Um, but, you know, the point being is that they influenced a whole nother genre, a whole nother, uh, you know, age group, basically, you know, and, and other genres as well. Whereas I, I think when you look at grunge, you, you don't have so much of, of that, you know, you don't have, you know, the bands uh, coming out there. You know, I know you have bands saying that I love Nirvana, I love Alice in Chains, but I think at, well, at it's always core, those though, bands. It wasn't, as, it wasn't as influential. <laughs> I mean, I gotta say, I don't think it was as influential. It was more popular, but I don't think it was as influential as as thrash and, and metal. Well, th- thrash metal specifically, because like that that is that's kind of like like if you th- you think about like uh, like Clark Gable and Elizabeth Taylor, like that's the the golden age of Hollywood thrash metal. That's the golden age of rock and roll. Like it wasn't, it, it was like, if there was some kind of like a chart or a graph where it's like maximum accessibility to listeners versus like maximum edge and aggression for music, it is thrash metal. Like when I, cause I, I kind of heard it in reverse order. Like I heard like, like here, listen to this. Like, what is this absurd? Like, ah, uh, no. Like, what is this cannibal corpse? Ah, uh, no. What is this Megadeth? Oh. Oh, I, I can, I can listen to this. This is acceptable. And then once you listen to everything else, that sounds like that. Then I, okay. Now I understand cannibal corpse. Okay. Now I understand emperor. Like, okay, I get it. Like you just, you, you gotta ease your way into it where thrash metal is very accessible because it, it's, it's not just noise. And, and, you know, just getting back to the grunge thing, um, you know, thrash metal, when I go to see shows, I can really see and feel the influence, whether it be Slayer or Exodus on a band when I go to see them. 
you know, there are a lot of bands that say, you know, we were influenced by Nirvana or Alice in Chains, but somewhere, somewhere between Alice in Chains and the music these new bands are producing, it, it's kind of lost in the mix. Like that, that influence is not as evident to me. Like I can draw a straight line from Exodus to Bonded by Blood by name, certainly. Um, I can draw a straight line from nuclear assault to municipal waste. I can hear the influence. When you say you're, you're influenced by Nirvana and Soundgarden, if you're in a band, to me, it's it's almost like saying you were influenced by Led Zeppelin. You know, like rock music, like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so broad and so generic, generic that it's hard to say, oh, yeah, I, I can see the influence there. Whereas with thrash metal, I, I think it's more evidence. Um, and listen, as a, as a quick aside here, you know, I like grunge metal. I like grunge metal. I like grunge, right? And when the metal scene was sort of falling apart in the 90s, early 90s, mid 90s, I was at MTV. I was working at MTV and I was pissed because I worked on Headbangers Ball as an intern with Ricky Rackman and they you, canceled Headbangers Ball. Did you, get to, was, did you get to go to yours. action? You know what? I got an action <laughs> park story. That was like my second day of interning. Heck yeah. And uh, I knew they were oh, going wow. to Action Park. And I figured <laughs> I've been to Action Park so many times. I love Alice in Chains. This is great. And the day before, they're like, yeah, we're going to actually uh, need you to stay in the office and um, and do some work for us on this other project <laughs> we're doing, this uh, country oh, no. music project. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, to this no. day, the producers of the show, Nancy and Eva, when I, when I see them, I'm like, I'll never forgive you guys. My, <laughs> my first week on the job, and you're like, Dwight Yoakam Country Special. We need you to work on that. And I saw you guys all walk out the door and go to Action Park. And oh. everybody always, of course, says it's the greatest Headbangers Ball show ever. Oh, like, yeah. Legendary. I was in the <laughs> videos. That's where I was. Oh, no. But, it, but, but, but I saw Headbangers Ball get canceled, you know, and I was, I was very upset. And um, eventually I went on to produce, associate produce, and then produce a show called 120 Minutes. And all the bands that I had hated so much because I was such a metal fan were on 120 Minutes. <laughs> but I do have to say, in hindsight, it was it was a great experience because where I was at that time was at the, the epicenter, the birth of grunge metal. I was watching these bands on Headbangers Ball in 120 minutes, and I, w- I was kind of watched that whole scene explode. I saw one scene die and one scene born, and to be there at MTV when that was happening, I look back and uh, it, it, it was, I was really very fortunate to be there to see all that happen. It was just an amazing time for music, something I know I'll never see again. And um, who knows if any of us will see something like that again. Two scenes like that colliding, one kind of going underground and one exploding. It was a fun, it was a fun time, but I, I was pissed. They canceled my show. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I went on to produce Get Thrashed. And I was pissed because the music was getting, you know, kicked to the curb by MTV and by, you know, mainstream media. I was angry, you know, like a lot of thrash bands, right? They, they did the music. They created uh, songs and albums and music because they were mad. I was mad that people were dissing thrash metal. So I went out and made a film that, you know, tried to shine a spotlight on them and show how important they were. I, I, wow. that, was that the first documentary about thrash metal? Like, I, I'm, I'm serious on that front. Yeah. Because it, it was. Okay. And when I was, when I was making the movie from 2002, to about 2007 at the same time i knew that headbangers journey sam dunn's movie was in uh production 
and we had exchanged emails just you know we you know basically hey i'm doing this movie yeah i'm doing this movie and also american hardcore which was paul rackman and Stephen blush they were doing their film on the hardcore punk scene so the three of us you know kind of like at the time the big three of um <laughs> you know uh, rock and metal documentaries and I remember going to see Sam's movie. He emailed me, said, "Hey, we're you know screening in New York, you know, before it was released worldwide. I'd love you to check it out." And I was so afraid that he was going to cover the thrash metal scene in that movie. And I came out of it going, "Why? He didn't touch the thrash metal scene." So I dodged a bullet because I had no budget. It was so DIY. I knew I was going to need. I knew time was on my side, but not money. Like I couldn't do this thing in a year or two. I needed five years to make it. So Sam's movie didn't touch thrash metal. American hardcore didn't touch thrash metal. Um, so yeah, I mean, forget thrash was the first thrash metal documentary. That's amazing. How do you de- how do you even get the ability to interview you know like Dave Mustaine? And I know you did this over five years, and it looks yeah. like you interviewed them at different times. Well, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well also specifically because when I was watching it. And there's the part where it's Gary Holt, Tom Hunting, <laughs> and Steve Souza. And I'm like, okay, given the time frame, this yeah. is the Rob Dukes era. So, like, did you just, mm-hmm. did you interview? <laughs> and also, uh, yeah, and, um, and Paul Bostoff was in the band at the time. So I'm like, did you just get these people? Uh, and then it later says <laughs> X Exodus. I'm like, okay. yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it, was, it, it was very confusing for me because, as you as you mentioned, I interviewed you know Gary and Zetro and uh, Tom, and it was Exodus. They came out, you know. Uh, You're you right know, in front with, of uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, yeah, and they, you know, they were, it was Exodus. <laughs> Exodus had just reformed and come back, and then all of a sudden, I'm making the movie, and and Zetro's gone. So I'm like, oh my god, we got to change his lower third. We got to make him ex Exodus to make it current. And of course, by the time the movie's even finished. Zetro's back in the band again. <laughs> so that's one of my pet peeves. If I could go back and, and, and certainly redo a few things, that would be one of them. I was chasing what was current. And what was current was Zetro was ex-Exodus. It was the Rob Dukes era. But of course, he came back and, um, you know, the rest is history. But you're, you're correct. I interviewed them at different times. And the way I was able to do that um, was MTV. You know, I had worked at MTV as an intern on Headbangers Ball, so I knew a lot of the um, a lot of the label people. Didn't necessarily know the bands because I was just an intern and a production assistant. They didn't they didn't know me, but the but the label people knew me because I had to reach out to them for promotional materials and CDs, advanced CDs and stuff. And um, through those contacts and connections, I was able to say, "Hey, you know, I want to interview Metallica. I need to interview Slayer." And the managers and the label people. They all jumped because, you know, it's Rick from MTV, you know, let's hook him up because eventually, you know, maybe he'll be able to hook us up. He works at MTV. So that's how I was able to get everybody. In fact, I remember going to Ohio Stadium to interview Metallica. And, um, you know, Laura sits down and I remember the uh, the label rep going, hey, this is Rick from MTV. He's in a documentary for MTV. And I just turned and said, yeah, yeah, it's a documentary for MTV. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I mean, Whatever MTV could air it. <laughs> Yeah. Who's to yeah. say? So, so that's how I got that's almost great. all the, all the talent in the movie. It was it was through MTV, and then once once Metallica signed on, and Slayer signed on, and Anthrax. Once the big bands were all on board, then everybody wanted to be a part of it, which was amazing. You know, 
it's a snowball effect yeah yeah <laughs> so uh you probably haven't listened to a lot of, of our episodes but you know, you know full uh Full disclosure, we are not a Metallica fan here, <laughs> but I, I have said it many times, yeah, I, of course I'd welcome James or Lars on the show. Not oh, that yeah. they ever would, but they're, they're, it's undeniable their place in music history. And I still say this, Metallica is the biggest rock band in the world. Like, Absolutely. So, so like, even, even though like they haven't really been a thrash metal band in 35 years, I'm, I'm sure you look on them more, more fondly than I do. Not that I, well, you know, I don't like them at all, <laughs> but, but it's, but it's less for musical reasons and it's more for their part in the destruction of, of mainstream thrash metal and but still being able to sit down with people that are the, the biggest rock band in the world. That's, that is uh, amazing. Like we are, we are Dave Mustaine respecters on this show. Yeah. And I got to say, you know, Metallica, listen, I don't, I one listen to the last album, the new album. Don't like it. But <laughs> like, did, listen, uh, I can, I can, I can say that Metallica, if I had to pick a band, it's probably, you know, my favorite band of all time and the most influential band in my musical journey, because to hear Kill 'Em All, Master Puppets, Ride the Lightnings and Injustice for All, to hear those first four albums as a 15 year old to 22 year old kid, it was so influential. And to see them for the first time, you know, on those tours, it, I, I can't describe how amazing it was to be there and see that. So they'll always have my respect for that. Love those albums and um, the way they influence my musical taste. I also will say that Lars and Kirk did not have to sit down with me for 45 minutes, an hour almost. Yeah. They each sat down with me for that long for an interview about thrash metal. It was, a, it was not about, you know, not about Biscuit, how cool it was Lars opening is. for them or anything else. They <laughs> knew it was about thrash metal. They knew it was one guy with a camera and a light. It was a very low five production and they sat there and they couldn't have been any cooler and kinder. So yeah. again, I'll always give them credit for that. They were really super, super cool. I don't have to like the newer stuff that they're doing, but I do have to give them a lot of credit for sitting down with me, giving me the time and essentially being the first building block of the documentary. They weren't the first band I interviewed but they were the first big band and they were the band. Once people mm -hmm. saw Metallica, we're in get thrashed. Everybody wanted in yeah. and it just opened the floodgates. So they were huge. They were huge in my musical journey. They were huge in get thrashed. And I, I, I said, I, I may not like every song, every album, but I always respect, um, you know, what they've done for, for metal and for rock. Well, yeah. and for me personally, with the film. Oh, for sure. And well, that, yeah, that makes well, a lot of sense. Well, and they're also still yeah. influential for us because we talk about mm -hmm. them so often. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah, and, it's, and, and, and <laughs> honestly, like it's, I, I'm making it sound like we are harsher on them than like than we really are, and and most of it, it just comes down to their role in the decline of metal being popular, and it's less that. Uh, like, oh, the, they made Load and Reload. Those albums are terrible. But how many metal bands had terrible albums in the 90s? Very, very few. 
have of a clean slate. Like Destruction has those three terrible albums without Schmier. Uh, the creator yeah. has Enderama, the mm-hmm. El the uh, Diablo Musica from Slayer. Risk, which you know we, we, we stand no, by, is that. like one <laughs> the of the worst, worst records. <laughs> so <just> bad, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so being yeah, they they didn't have to. Lars, it's like I don't have time for you. Who are you? You're yeah. some one guy with a camera and a light. Uh, like I, I have Limp Biscuit to open for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I, and listen, another story I'll tell you about Lars. Hmm. I was working at MTV. And it was the day after the VMAs. I forget what year it was. It must have been like 1999, something way back when. And um, we were filming an episode, you know, like the biggest metal videos of the year or something like that, whatever it was. And we were filming with Lars at a place called Hogs and Heifers in New York City. (laughs) It's kind of a, you know, dive bar, scrappy bar, rock bar. And we were filming there. Uh, I don't know, two o'clock to six o'clock on a, on a Friday, I guess it was. Now, two o'clock to six o'clock on a Friday, typically in many places is happy hour. In this place, it was in an area where you had a lot of construction workers that would show up for happy hour. So during the back end of this shoot, we had very drunk, angry construction workers in the back of the shot with bars that were uh, you know, really causing havoc. <laughs> One of them actually jumped up on the bar behind Lars, pulled his pants down, oh, essentially no. over Lars's head. And again, I got to tell you, to Lars's credit, Lars like took a slug of whiskey, turned around and just spit the thing at the guy, you know, and the guy laughed oh. and walked away. It was chaos because it was a bunch of drunk dudes. And this is a guy, Lars, who is rich and famous at this point. Mm. This is, you know, 99. Imagine, you know, their Black Album, Money Rich. Yeah, He could have yeah. just walked out and said, the hell with this. This is way too much. I'm not doing this. He finished the shoot. He didn't complain. And uh, to this day, I'm just like, man, I, I don't know if I would have even done that. Because you got all these guys yelling and screaming and just being jerks. Why do I have to do this? I'm just going to leave. Let them figure out what to do with it. He stayed. He stayed and took all the torture. <laughs> and, and he dished it back. Like I said, it wasn't like he just stood there. Slug of whiskey. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, and well, it made it in the show. Good on him. Oh, well, yeah. It's, that's good content. So I don't, I don't want to sit here and seem like I'm, I'm defending Metallica, but I can't, I can't give you any... Lars was a dick to me kind of story. Well, I wasn't... I did, I, well, I don't think we've ever maintain that attitude i think we've yeah been kind of pretty positive towards them as people mm-hmm. it's it's just the the business angle it, it's just like it's it the black album 100 percent changed mainstream rock and sure. i and i see and this is why i'm not the metallica guy so you were there like when it happened you got to see that flower blossom my first exposure to Metallica was hearing Inter Sandman 73 times a day, uh, just watching MTV <laughs> and like, this is metal. And then, uh, and then, and then I have to hear fuel when it comes out. I'm like, no, thank you. And then I have a yeah. buddy and he's like, oh yeah, Metallica's good. I'm like that band that makes those terrible cheesy dad rock songs. No. It's like, oh no, you got to hear old Metallica. I'm like, oh, this isn't the same band. What are you talking about? And then he said, Listen, oh, you, let, like let, that. Let, let me, let yeah. me just. Let me just say, for, for us fans who were there from the beginning to hear the first four records, I'll never forget getting the Black Album, first you know Metallica album I had on cassette, and brought it into, uh, I was working in a supermarket in the seafood department, and I couldn't wait to listen to it. and popped it in during work, 
and the disappointments that your mm. favorite band, your idols have delivered this. And, you know, listen, it's one of the best selling albums of all time. Right. Oh, yeah. So like, mm-hmm. you know, there'll be people out there. They'll say, what are you talking about? I can be disappointed. We all know it's metal fans, especially us with the first four albums to hear that. I mean, it was it was a, literally a kick in the gut. Like I just remember being in that seafood department when that album was done playing back to back on the cassette. It's just being so disappointed and thinking, you know, I, I think I think my favorite band is gone. They're not <laughs> they're not what they used to be. <laughs> that, and well, listen, they weren't. I understand. I understand their musical journey, and they had to do something different. They were tired of writing six, seven, eight minute songs. So I don't. I don't begrudge them that they did something different but like you know my personal story is that as a fan hearing that for the first time i was kind of crushed well i look at it a little differently i don't begrudge them for wanting to make a lot of money that's how how i look at it because they went i mean the injustice for all still sold three million records so it's not like you know they were in poverty at the time but Mm -hmm. i think at a certain point it's like well you know we're starting to experience fame like let's become superstars. But I think that they missed an opportunity with the black album. It shouldn't have been called Metallica. It should have been named after one of the songs on the album. It should have been called, should have been called sad, but true. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) You know, in the documentary, um, and also, by the way, I, I, I want to point out, you are the first person that I have heard like express disappointment in the black album after injustice for all i know so many people they're like no the black album's great and i'm just like how okay. old are they <laughs> <laughs> like, like like 40 something 50 something like like i i just okay. i i i think you have the sensible position I, yeah exactly it's, it's refreshing <laughs> and like again i don't want to like hate on them but like when you go from dyer's eve to like of you know of wolf and men it's it's not the same band yeah I mean, crushed. That, that's 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 the only word I can use after that album was done in the cassette player in the seafood department of the supermarket. Crushed. You're like, crushed that there wasn't any fast, heavy songs like from the previous albums. You're like you're listening to this album and you're like something smells fishy here. Exactly. <laughs> uh, there you go. Now there's something in the documentary. I mean. There's a, the, for me, there's a few highlights. Uh, I love Dave Mustaine and even Bobby Blitz, but Dave Mustaine kind of was the only one that was like, you could tell he, I wouldn't say he said anything negative, but he, he would say like, I was faster than them when I was in Metallica and Bobby Blitz <laughs> saying that, you know, Dave Mustaine is the best songwriter in Metallica. And he said, and still is. <laughs> um, but I did have a question, something obvious to me that popped up. Um, the uh, original Metallica lineup. It seemed like Eddie Trunk forgot about um, Ron McGovern. Ron McCul- yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know. So they said Cliff was the original. Me- Metallica may have forgotten about Ron McGovern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hold on. Well, think, who was yeah. the other guitar player before Dave? Though it was the other guy. I got to be honest with you. I don't remember his name. I don't what? remember the name before Dave. But but mm-hmm. I, I think I think you know. The, I don't know if Eddie necessarily forgot or, you know, what I encouraged was just like, Hey, we're starting, we have to pick a spot to start the documentary. We can go back to the first, uh, you know, bass player and the first guitar player. We can go back to like before Metallica and Mm -hmm. like, where do we start? 
you know, because there were people that said, you know, you should have started earlier with like Venom and Motorhead. And you have ninety out. minutes or or one hundred five <laughs> yeah. minutes. I really wanted it mm-hmm. to be about a hundred minutes. I didn't want it to be this epic three hour documentary. So I was pretty adamant that we're going to start with you know eighty two, eighty three, Metallica mm-hmm. and the bands of that time period and how they exploded. Um, you know, and, and I think when you think of, of other band members. You know, if, if they didn't play on the album, that's one. That's one thing. It's certainly one reason why maybe they're not mentioned. Maybe Ron's not mentioned. Um, or the demo. Dave, tapping, or, Dave. Yeah, no, I've told other wasn't mentioned, but Dave was like mentioned as an original. So that's. that's yeah. I'm not like saying anyone forgot, but I think even yeah, Kurt, yeah. Kurt or and, Lars and and even Venom yeah. is is mentioned too. Merciful yeah, so fate, it was, a little it was bit. hard to try and like you know. Pick you're, a you're, spot that we're really going to take off launch right. from, and um, you're you condensing know, ten years. People that were forgotten. <laughs> you, know, you could say you could say Neil Turpin and Anthrax. You know, he was there in sure. the beginning, and we really didn't give Neil props that he he, he was mentioned. He, and he was, it's no yeah. it's no diss to Neil Turpin. It's just that we had to pick a spot to jump off from. And and one of the things that um, I tried to do is I tried to interview a lot of bands, as you guys have seen. Oh, you so did. that if somebody <laughs> asked me, how come, you know, you didn't talk about how influential a band, you know, this band was, I would say I interviewed about 50 people and nobody mentioned that band as being <laughs> an influence on them. So if they were old for 50, you know, they're probably not going to be included in documentary. I might love the band. I might have all the albums. But if nobody mentioned them as being influential in the scene or musically, you know, then we probably have to just, you know, move on. So I, I think that probably applies to certain band members as well. Mm. You have okay. to condense an entire sense. decade down to yeah. an hour and a half ish. So, you know, yeah. some stuff is going to get cut and look, let, let's say the, the thing is Ron McGovney is, is the Pete best of Metallica. Like the only thing about him, like, I don't know, maybe he's a really nice guy and he's lives a very <laughs> successful life. Now, I don't know, honestly, I don't know a single thing about him, but he was, he's only famous for being in Metallica. Like that's it. it it's, it's not like, well, when, during the Ron McGovern, oh, those shows were, oh, he brought energy. No, he was just a guy that was in Metallica before Cliff Burton. Exactly. Exactly. Like Cliff Burton, obviously is somebody that, people spoke about at length, you know, so there were certain right. band members that Scott Ian or, uh, you know, uh, Gary Holt, there were, there were specific people that everybody else pointed out. So it was obvious that we were going to focus on them. And, you know, there are, again, other people like, you know, Neil Turbin's a perfect example. Neil came out to the screening in LA and, you know, I was worried about how he was going to, uh, you know, receive the film just because, we don't mention Neil. We show him. He's in. He's in the film. Uh, some bootleg footage, but he's not mentioned. So, but again, we had to make decisions on time. We didn't have more than a hundred minutes. In my mind, this had to be ninety to hundred minutes. Otherwise, it's just too long, and we're indulging ourselves and myself and my favorites. So, well, it was also an era where you, you show a documentary, it will be in a movie theater. Or maybe you would, you know, you would rent it from the blockbuster. Now, have you seen a modern doc? Do you like horror movies? I do. Have you seen the documentary on, uh, the Jason movies? It's like six hours long. 
Oh, see, I'm out already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, like every documentary now is, is like, it's like a, everything has to be Ken Burns civil war. Like it's now like a 12 hour epic. Like you have to go over every detail. And this was the coffee shop where James bought his first coffee, which gave him the inspiration <laughs> to write, hit the light. Now I was the barista at that coffee shop there. Now James came in one day. I thought he kind of looked like a wild man. Like, like that's, that's what it would be like now. Where yeah, and listen, all the all the streaming streaming platforms mm. want content, so you know there's and and they have times so or anything that might be on the cutting room floor in a normal you know world twenty years ago, we'll take it, you know, because we need to fill our platforms with content. To to me, you know, certainly that's wonderful to be able to do that. I think the bigger challenge is to say, you know what, I'm going to make a film that the average person could sit down to in ninety minutes, two hours, whatever it may be and understand the story and understand the vibe that I'm trying to get across. You know, there are true crime documentaries that are six and eight parters, and some of them are very well done. But for me, it was really important to make this, you know, palatable for people who maybe don't love thrash metal. I don't want them to have to sit through a four hour documentary. I want them to 90 minutes in and out and say, you know what? I got what I needed. And, and then DVDs, which nobody has anymore, but the DVD had all bonus material on it. Um, I should send it to you guys. Basically, it was a globe. You know, it was a map of the world. And if you clicked on Texas or you clicked on Germany or you clicked on, you know, whatever, it would take you into the bands from that scene. And, you know, you'd, you'd get some information on you know, the Texas scene or the bands from Arizona or whatnot, Canadian metal, stuff like that, Brazilian metal. Well, so bands like Sodom, you could do too. That's like, yeah, one of my, yeah, that's exactly, one of my favorite exactly. thrash bands. I love I them know, in yeah. there. <laughs> They're funny. I don't even know if you have a DVD player for this anymore, but I've got plenty of DVDs. We do. So. We do. Yeah, we do. We've got Good. DVD players. Yeah, we use, we do physical media. I don't like anything modern. I just, I like old stuff. That's why we have mm -hmm. a show where, we talk about metal and we talk about like, listen, the, we talk about two things. We talk about metal and rap on the show. Now, when we talk about <laughs> things we like, we talk about metal. We talk about things we don't like. We talk about rap and it's, maybe it's just kind of like a, re a reflection of how we feel about certain eras or modern times. Not so great. You know, old times. I, I mean, well, I don't want to talk about with rap, right? A little uh, bit. Uh, we we read them bit, rap yeah. lyrics. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You we did, read them the did. Lil John. That's or right, wait, what was it? Or Wapa with the Choppa, I think. I think it was Wapa with the Choppa. Yeah. We yeah, read him right. some yeah. drill rap. We we did talk off air about rap um a little more, just kind of like pick his brain about certain things. Mm -hmm. you know, and Andy will be back on the show. Uh wonderful, wonderful man. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, okay, so uh I have to ask you this before we go any further. Now is it Rick Ernst? Did I say yeah. that right? Okay. All right. Yep. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to get acid <laughs> or bath because of the, I don't want to no, get Rick, Rick Ernst is correct. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> you know, don't want to put a hit on me for saying it wrong. I don't want to embarrass <laughs> myself. Uh, so w would you consider doing this again under the modern, uh, documentary style, like the, the six hour, whatever, like the multi-parter. Cause you know, the, it, years I don't, later. I don't... I don't think I would, but I, what I would consider doing and what I had thought about early on is this kind of leaves off thrash metal 
kind of being reborn out of, uh, you well, know, yeah. the gut punch it took from grunge. And in my mind, the natural continuation is death metal, black metal, because, you know, just thinking of me in 90, 91, 92, 93, you know, I was still listening to, you know, all the thrash metal bands, but I was certainly getting into death obituary, mm-hmm. machine head, sepultura, you know, Pantera, all that stuff to me. The, the death metal scene would be the natural continuation of this. But um, I don't know if I'm going to be the guy to do it, but <laughs> that that's what I would be interested in telling that story. Cause I think that's an interesting story to tell. Well, if you want to produce it, you know, uh, we'll direct it. Or- yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, well, cause the, the reason I bring that up is because at the time metal made a comeback in 2004 and I routinely use grunge as the example just because like it, it, it lost its popularity, but then metal kind of reemerged because it is, it's timeless. It really is. It that, is. that, that's like 2004. It had, it had a, an Opeth, Megadeth, uh, King Diamond, Exodus. There, there were like all these like huge bands had major releases that year. And, uh, and it was, that was just one year alone. Obviously 2005, you have enemy of God, we creator, shovel headed kill machine. Uh, like, like they came back, but now it, it's, they, they didn't really lose popularity after that second wind. Like, obviously they're not topping the charts. Like they may have been in the eighties, but still like there, there's like a whole new generation of thrash bands out there. Like there's people that still send us stuff. Like, will you play this on your show? I'm like, yeah, we'll get there. Sorry. We have a, got a long list or sorry, everybody. We will, we'll get to you eventually. Yeah. You know, those, those old school thrash bands influenced a new wave of thrash bands. I wanted to say more than just new wave of thrash bands, a new wave of metal bands. And now those bands you often see touring together, you know, like Exodus is out right now with, uh, is it Fit for an Autopsy? For an autopsy. Yeah. 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 So like you, you see the newer bands and the older bands touring together and you have fans new and old kind of getting into both. So it really is sort of pollinated across generations. And it's, it's cool to see that, you know, um, you know, certainly we all love an old school metal show, Testament, Exodus, mm-hmm. Death Angel just came through, you know, Four oh, yeah. months ago. You know, so listen, that's a dream for everybody. But the reality is, is that an older band to be able to tour with a younger band and tap into their audience and vice versa, it's important, you know, and to see that happening and to see that accepted, it's, uh, it's good. It's, it's, it's good business for the bands, you know? So, yeah. And you mentioned it in the documentary and me and AC, we both, you know, went through this when we were going to metal shows is that you would have, you know, uh, a metal band, thrash band, like Exodus or, or uh, you know, Testament, but then you'd have them with like a band like Hatebreed or like a hardcore or, or you know, one of those bands, and you you have the Job guys for a headbanging, cowboy. they'd be doing they'd be, kung, you know, they're, they're kung, <laughs> kung fu fighting, <laughs> they're fighting yeah, invisible like, ninjas, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it just seemed like it didn't go together. So it's nice to hear that now you know, the bands are kind of like finding a way that to make it more acceptable because it seemed kind of like forced. And to us, it's like, well, do you want to go in the pit and you look and you're like, well, uh, I don't want to get kicked in the in balls it. again. <laughs> yeah. I got kicked <laughs> in the balls at an Exodus concert by some guy just like doing roundhouses. I, 
It's <laughs> like, what are you doing? You dumbass. Well, listen, listen, you know, that that's uh, that's bad. But I, I got to be honest with you. Growing up in the, uh, the late 80s and 90s with thrash, of a metal and, <laughs> thrash metal and hardcore bands toured together, it was worse because there would be oh, wow. <laughs> there'd be 10 on one beatdowns. You know, when you go to see a show, I remember Destruction tour with the Chromax. And it's just like, you know what? You, you can't even enjoy Destruction because the Chromax fans are there just assaulting people. Mm. And, uh, you know, the metal Ap- fans, whether they were loners or whether we were all like, you know, lone wolves, you know, independent. We all kind of were like separate. We came in, you know, groups two or three. But, you know, you had a hardcore contingent that usually had like, you know, 10, 20 people there. So, you know, if, if you tried to fight one, not that I did, but if you tried to fight one, you were fighting all 20 of them. So it, it was it was very difficult because it wasn't just getting kicked in the balls; it was getting sent to the hospital with stitches and a broken yeah, nose a, a, and, yeah. and getting kicked in the balls <laughs> and getting kicked in the balls. Uh, it just that, it just yeah. it just wasn't worth it. And we would see a tour like that, and oh, mm. man, we want to see destruction, but we Little know this destruction. is going to be a mess. <laughs> and, and, and and it usually was. We still mm. went, but it was a different experience. <laughs> it would just like, be kind of hanging out in the back. And right. the people who exactly. didn't know, they're seeing destruction with a hardcore band. They didn't know or they didn't care. Mm. Just like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> a poor guy. Do you ever yeah, listen to? Do you ever listen to Henry Rollins' audiobook, "The Get in the Van"? I have not, but Henry's a, a very, very talented speaker and a smart guy. So I'd be interested in that. Oh, I, I, I have listened to Henry and William Shatner's Christmas song, which I love. Well, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> well, I highly recommend it, but. He, he paints a pretty negative picture of that type of audience. And, and you could, you could tell that he really grew to resent those types of people. Like, they, like they, they would just go to their shows and like spit on them and like throw like beer at mm-hmm. them. And, and that was, was like a, a regular mentality. thing. It was a pack. It was a pack of wolves and listen, man, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. You know, I mean, even if you like the music, it just was ruined by the fans that were there and it, it sucks. It, it but, sucked. And I'm glad that it, it went away. You know, it's, it's not really uh, yeah. present anymore. Well, yeah, but, but, tough, just, uh, but, but, but just before we leave Henry Rollins, you do have to check out William Shatner's Christmas album <laughs> and his version of jingle bells with Henry Rollins is just classic. All right. Now you <laughs> have, we before we leave Christmas songs, you have to check out DMX singing Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer. <laughs> It is, oh, it, it is one of the funniest things you'll ever hear because it's DMX singing like, but he's like, sing, but he's doing Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. He's not like trying to sing. He's like, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things you'll ever hear. It was but, about, two, I guess it was about, must've been two years ago. I, I had COVID for Christmas. I had a Christmas COVID gift. And uh, I was locked in my room, basically listening to d- songs, exploring, deep diving. And that's how I found this William Shatner Christmas album featuring Henry Rollins. I also found, um, I forget what band it was, but it was like a symphonic death metal Christmas album. It was awesome. <laughs> Thank you, so COVID. Awesome. <laughs> and it was just perfect. I'm sure my wife and daughter were walking past the room with symphonic death metal versions of Jingle Bells and like Hark the Herald Angels sing playing very loudly and thinking what is going on in there is it just COVID or is it something else <laughs> there's there is some really impressive like progressive metal band I, I i don't know the name of them but 
it's it's just guitar, bass, and drums. It's like some of the best playing you'll ever hear. And then they wear masks of like Vladimir <laughs> Putin, Donald Trump, and Kim Jong Un. The, the nuclear it, power trio. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, nuclear power trio. <laughs> yeah, it it, it, it's it is wild. It is one of the strangest novelty acts I've ever seen. But it like you listen to it, and it's like why is why are they even doing like the novelty gimmick? Like they, yeah, they're yeah. good right, enough. Right. It's it's really weird. Like you watch their videos, they're like playing basketball and stuff. It's very <laughs> silly. I I highly nuclear recommend power it. trio. Nuclear power trio. Yeah. Well, we, we live in an era. Yes. I highly recommend (laughs) it. We live in an era where you can do anything media wise. Like your, your, your cell phone has a better camera than I'm sure the one you used for the documentary. Absolutely. (laughs) That's crazy. Absolutely. Like full movies are shot on iPhones now. Yeah. So like, because of technology, because uh, I, I do not, I, I understand when people get mad at technology because it can be frustrating because it's constantly changing, but because of technology, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Like I only made my, my record because the, the, the tools to record is accessible now. Like those, those songs were, were written when like DJ and I were playing. And we, we did not have 15 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. We did not have a way to record it. Something like that. Yeah. We, we had a, a, like sound like bees. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We had the the riffs. (laughs) Yes. We had a like terrible demo, but Mm. now you can have people dressed up like political leaders playing symphonic metal (laughs) on a basketball court. It's, it's very bizarre. Like you can, you can do anything now. So anyone out there, like if you want to make your own documentary, Rick, isn't going to make it. So, you yeah, know, it, you, it's, it's, it's become accessible for everybody. Anybody can go out there and make a documentary. Although I have to admit though, you know, showing up with the iPhones, it, your, your talent sitting in the chair, uh, depending on what level you're, you're aiming for. Sometimes it's a little, it's a, could be a little offsetting you know when you see a kid show up with an iphone and says i'm making a documentary sometimes it's good to to come packing you know lights and a big camera you know it's nothing else just for show but you're right you know if you get a nice iphone these days it is better quality than the camera i was shooting on absolutely yeah so just get like get like a a big like 80s camcorder and then just you know, tape your iPhone. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, so it, exactly. Yeah. You know, you want the, you want, you want the allure that you're filming something and also wear the addressing. Yeah. And wear one of those hats that like the conductor ones and get those, those puffy pants just on the top. You know, you want to look. The yeah. Part. And you need a clapboard. You know, uh, take yeah. one. Interview, yeah. take one. Mm-hmm. Yes. And get it with, you want the chalk one. You don't want the digital one, you know, we're yeah. going all and get, and get the megaphone. That's, you know, <laughs> you want to, you want to look like you're serious, but you also want to look like you're not serious at the same time. That's what I, I'm going for. I think it's a good plan. It's the, it's the best plan. What, what was the last release you listened to from a band? Like, a like a, and, and I don't mean like y- yesterday I listened to, uh, for those about to rock. Uh, don't ask me why I brought that one up. Man, the last, the last release <laughs> like I listened late, to. Yeah. From like, from a, like if the last release, See, for I mean, example, I mean, I love, I mean, I'm just, the, the I'm just, first, the first one well, that's let, well, well, let me clarify. Like if the last new release was, um, the sick, the dying and the dead, like if that was the last, like the latest one, that's what I mean. Like 
chronologically? Uh, that's a great album. That probably is not the latest one. Right. And, you know, I'm just trying to think. Like the new Obituary album was amazing. You know, I love a band called Avatar. You know, they released a new album, but that was like nine months ago. I'm trying to think whose new album. I think Suffocation came out with the new album. I have to go look at my downloads here and see what the (laughs) heck is going on. What's the last thing I I downloaded here? Don't worry. This is all staying in. I'm I'm sorry. This is all like getting old and trying to. It's it's important we know this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, John couldn't answer. Well, John said that he went to uh, like a record store last week and got a record from the 70s. Yeah, exactly. And and he's like, it's new to me. Uh, The new Voivod album. I mean, but none of these are new. They're all like, you know, months and months old. Well, months old is still new. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, but okay. the sick, the die, the sick, the dying, and the dead has not left my like current I, playlist. Like I, I love like, that album. I like that album too. That's Apparently, so. Uh, that, yeah, I I don't know it. To me, do you like Duran like, Duran? Look at this. I'll use this again. No, so, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's fine. Music. That's fine. But Duran Duran put out an album in like 2010 or 11, and it sounded like they were trying to sound like 80s Duran Duran. Okay. Like that and that's what the sick the dying the dead felt like. It felt more like Dave's like I guess I have to write songs like this again. Like Dystopia is one of my favorite Megadeth records. It's probably in my top 4. I like Got it more than so far so good so what. I, I like yeah. I would I would go Peace Cells, Killing is my business, Rust in Peace, then probably Dystopia. I'm going to have to go visit Dystopia now as well. I, I, sh- I should have had a pen and a pencil on here to write down some of this. Nuclear Trio, oh. Dystopia. Well, we'll uh, D- 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 DMX <laughs> sings Rudolph DMX. the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas is coming. You need to have some good Christmas tunes. <laughs> it is coming. But yeah, dystopia, dystopia felt very, very much kind of like, uh, hey, what should we play? Like, well, let's get back to... Like the era when people really liked it, like let's get like that nice sweet spot because it, it it feels like the, the missing album between Rust in Peace and Countdown to Extinction, mm. like that's yeah. the that's the best way to to put it. Like that's actually a good way, yeah. Because because like when you go from Rust in Peace to Countdown, like I still like Countdown, but I think a lot of the songs it really feels like we need to sound more '90s. Like it feels like something is missing because Rust in Peace is very much classic megadeth and uh countdown to extinction is more like well let's get yeah let's get with the times where dystopia dystopia feels like the middle of that where it it, it's still and lyrically it's like his (laughs) best lyrics and i like like, almost all of his lyrics i mean i can't you know for there was that dave's a great songwriter listen he's writes great lyrics I was worried, you know, new Megadeth album was coming out, the sick, dying, and the dead, and mm-hmm. you know, Dave's Dave's getting a little Dave, older. Dave is old, you know, the yeah. Vocals, the vocals, the vocals can be a little little. He went through cancer. Yeah, <laughs> cancer like, specifically. What is he going to be able yeah. to deliver here? And like, he really for for the vocals that he's capable of delivering, he does a great job. I mean, he's not mm-hmm. Joey Belladonna, so you're never going to have that, obviously. But he does, I think, a really good job of writing songs to fit his vocal style. And maybe that, that seems like a, like a no duh. But for me, listening to Dave over the years and listening to this album, it's just like, you know what? He wrote 
lyrics and he wrote in a way that's smart enough that he's able to pull this off on the record and potentially live. I haven't seen him live on the tour, but you know, again, I love the new album. I love the last three, four, five songs on it. Mission to Mars. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I like that one too. <laughs> yeah, it's some really cool songs, and I find the last headbang four or five on the gangway my favorite songs. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah, I, I, I guess I have to go. You're in the it minority, again. AC. Yeah. Well, I, I, again, well, the DJ built it up for months. He's like, "Oh no, you gotta hear it! It's like the best album ever." I, I will. I'll throw all my other records away. I'm like, good. I gotta listen to it. I'm like, I don't know. I, I came in with the opposite. Mm. I'm thinking, okay, this is probably gonna be the same old thing, and then I was like, wow. This well, is that's how really, I thought really it was gonna good. be. Too. My expectations yeah. were low. <laughs> That that's probably what ha- well that's what happened to me like uh, the last Megadeth album that I before Dystopia was United Abominations and the, I like the first album or the first song Sleepwalker is a like the perfect way to start a record. Uh, Washington is next is, is good you know it's not great it's good and then the next album I think or the next song I think it was Gears of War and I was like what the heck oh, is yeah, this and then the, the song after that, I'm like <laughs> whoa like it just like it just keeps getting worse and worse. And then uh, I can't remember the album after that, but I, it, it was, I think it was Endgame. Endgame. Which, yeah, I, Endgame, which Endgame. I think people like that one, but I was like, this is not Megadeth. Like, this is like, this is like a Metallica record. Like, what, is, what am I listening to? <laughs> and then I just, I just gave up. It's just like, okay, well, you know, Megadeth's done. Like, they're just, I'll, if they play live, I'll go see them. Uh, but th- those songs will, will never be what they were. But Dystopia kind of, shocked me to my core i was like wow i can't believe that megadeth put this out at this time because i was thinking dave is old then like dave's great when you get a you get a release like that that does that for you and for me the sick dying in the dead did Mm -hmm. that i was just like wow this is renewed my interest in in current megadeth material yeah, I I agree. I, I had the same exact thing too. I had, had low expectations, and then I was you know pleasantly surprised, and then I built it up so much so that AC yeah. had very high hopes. <laughs> and it was like, oh, I mean, uh. and that's and that's pretty typical. You know, I remember growing right. up, and like you know, we would always try to find like the the, the cool new band. Like we'd always try to dig a little deeper and, and introduce you know the, the, your your best buddy to this band, and it was the same way. You know, I'd find a band, they'd be like, oh, it's not as good as this. And then they'd find a band like, oh, it's not as good as that. So there's always a friendly competition amongst us growing up of who could find the coolest, heaviest new band. So, Well, what was the coolest, heaviest new band that you found? Uh, I'm going to claim Snow White out of Chicago was a band that I discovered from listening to college radio, metal radio here in New York City. I'm going to also claim Heathen was a band that I found. I might get some argument on finding violence, but I think I was the first guy to bring violence into our group. You know, oh our, man, our don't you don't want to be known as the guy, the first one to bring violence into <laughs> your group? So you get thrown out, <laughs> right? The band violence. Oh, oh, and okay. The, and, and one of my favorite, my favorite band violence story is that um, uh, Nirvana uh, was on the verge of releasing Nevermind. And um, they were playing in New York City. And this is a time where, you know, I don't know, I'm 20 years old, 21 maybe. I don't have like any money. I'm not able to get into the city from the suburbs every weekend and see a show. It was actually a weeknight. And violence was playing like the next night. So I had to make a decision. Do I go see Nirvana? They're about to release this album called Nevermind. I don't know much about it, but smells like teen spirit. Sounds great. Or do I go see violence? They have two albums out that I love. 
absolutely love, and you know I chose violence. So, <laughs> so when anybody asks, choose good violence. answer. <laughs> choose violence over Nirvana. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a <laughs> good go. message for the kids. Settled. I'm, or just okay. in general. Uh, in general, yeah. So I was choose talking violence. to. I I ran into some old timer at a show. Uh, this was years ago, like back when I was probably in my teens still. And uh, like, I used to always pick people's brains on this. Like, like, I mean, I, I have much clearer picture now, but at the time I'd say like, what killed metal? And this guy said, what, what lost metal really was, he said, Rob Flynn was the heart and soul of thrash metal. I've never heard that before since. But that's what he said. He said, when, when Rob Flynn left violence, that's what killed metal. And again, I mean, some people, they take certain bands closer to heart than others. So he may have been just a the hardcore violence fan. Yeah. I would say that, um, violence, violence, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I would have to disagree with that. Just yeah. That yeah. Okay. Yeah. Simply, you know? that, that, yeah. See that, that's what I was, I was thinking. Cause I've, I've never heard anyone ever say that. So neither like, have I. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, all sorts of revelations here. First guy to yeah, be disappointed by the I black love album. Violence, but, but the demise of violence certainly to me was not the demise of thrash. Uh, <laughs> because for, for me, it just was, um, you know, you had the Black Album. It, it is the perfect Black example album. of bands bands that released albums that were were not that great, and stuff was kind of sounding the same. You know, so mm. in the same way, grunge offered something different. You know, death metal offered something heavier. So for me, that's what I gravitated towards. I gravitated towards the heavier stuff, and I gravitated towards uh, you know some of the some of the stuff that was a little bit different. It's not that I gave up going to see Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax. You know, it's just that I was like, oh, there's some other options. New here. blood. You know, there's some heavier new blood. options. There's some more melodic options. The grunge stuff is doing some things that are kind of different. You know, for me, there were personal, there was room for all of it. Obviously, you know, the mainstream thought different <laughs> and uh, metal was just yeah. kicked to the curb. Yeah. And in, in Get Thrashed, you know, it talks, you guys talk about the touring aspect and that it wasn't mainstream. So these guys had to go out and tour. And I, I, again, like I'm going to quote Dave Mustaine here. He, he goes on to say, we were getting work so hard. And if you're going, um, we're getting work so hard. And you're, you're, if you're just playing guitar or you're just playing bass, uh, it's a lot easier than playing guitar and singing. You know, I was getting ridden hard and put away wet every night. It was just destroying band morale. So, I mean, uh, it, it makes sense that the content wouldn't naturally maybe be as good because these guys are, you know, they're getting worked <laughs> pretty they've been, hard. They've been ground into, they've been just pounded into the ground oh, by yeah. the lifestyle. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, the associate producer on this, on Get Thrashed, was Rat Overkill. Skates. Rat yeah. Skates was the original drummer for, for Overkill, like a founding mm -hmm. member of Overkill. And we talked about that, like, off the record. He talks about it in the film. Uh, it's a really, really tough life. And uh, he chose his family over, you know, being a rock star. And I certainly respect that. And I gotta be that, honest yeah. with you. If I was in his shoes, I don't know if I would have been able to do it either. Like it's it's really, really tough. You have to have a certain personality and be cut out for it because if not, it will cut you down. You will end up dead, rehab, or out of the band. One of those three, those are the options. Gosh. 
you know, and it's funny, Gary Holt said <laughs> it really cracked me up. He says, like, hey, like, I don't have many like skills outside of playing guitar. So like, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> like, I thought that was great. Like, but no, you know that, what? that's a, a good guy, point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And but he ended up becoming uh, there's co- a couple of foreshadowing in your documentary, Charlie Benante and uh, and Gary Holt, you know, Slayer and Pantera. You know, I thought yeah. that was, that's kind of fascinating. Uh and the way they were talking about those bands too it's really almost freaky in a way (laughs) right is it (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know or or just or it just shows how how connected that they all are it's like you know one one guy drops the ball the other guy picks it up and and i've maintained this for years i think gary holt is probably the best guitar player in yeah in like the greater thrash metal world like he, he has such a unique way of of playing leads and his rhythm is insanely good. And he's just an extremely good songwriter. Like Slayer is just the perfect, not, not really destination for him because, you know, he's still, he's still Exodus. I mean, I can't say enough about Gary Holt, certainly Exodus, you know, one of the the first thrash bands, even before Metallica, Mm -hmm. but Gary, you know, I don't know if I'm going out on a limb. I don't think I am to say Gary is to thrash what Tony Iommi would be to metal. For me, Gary Holt is the guy. Like when you talk about if Gary Holt would have just quit metal at a certain point, that would have been like a crushing blow for me personally. You know, I don't know if it would have ended the thrash metal scene, um, but like Gary, I think is that important. And he's, he's a great player. And he just epitomizes thrash metal, just like Exodus epitomizes thrash metal. So um, Gary is probably somebody that doesn't get enough credit. But for me, he was one of the most important players in this whole genre and still is, you know. Well, it's, it's, it's weird that uh, Exodus in general, like Exodus is a band that like people know, but they're they're not as big as they really should be. And like, like te- tempo of the damned is the best album that was never mm. released in the eighties. It, it, it is tempo of the damned is my favorite Exodus album. It's, it's my, I, it's, I mean, it's mine people, too. <laughs> and people who? will tell me that, oh my God, you know, you sacrilege. No, no, Blood, no, no. Tempo of the damned is my mm-hmm. favorite Exodus. It's, album. it's, it's the, it's, it's the most aggressive with the best riffs and, and the best vocals and the best production. Yeah. It's just like put everything together. Like bonded by blood is a weak production. And, and, and it just, it doesn't set, it doesn't punch as hard. Like th- just that guitar tone, just the, just yeah. hearing the opening notes of Scar Spangled Banner, like just when the drums just Black like, list. just punch in <laughs> just ev- the way, just it's the way an album starts is, is so much more important than people realize. Cause especially now everyone just does Spotify, which like only dum dums use Spotify, <laughs> but like people do things on Spotify. Yeah. 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 I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, like, Spotify. I just yeah, like oh, to check uh, on uh, how many monthly plays people get. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Two against one popularity. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but people will just listen to a song. I like to listen to a song in order. Cause this is how they wanted yeah. you to listen to it. This, like when I put my album out, which I'll still show it's available at a band camp, you know, <laughs> the ancestors call it's, you know, I you, have it. yeah, yeah, yeah buddy. No. Yeah. What do you mean? No. Go listen to Spotify. You dummy. <laughs> but anyway, like I took the time to think about, okay, 
like how how would I want to hear this? Like, okay, this is like the last song, the end of light. That was the first song I ever wrote, like beginning to end. So like that's means something to me. That should be how I close it. Well, what about these other seven songs? So I actually took the time. It took me like probably a week of just sitting on it. And can you imagine if Hell Awaits was not Hell Awaits and it was at dawn they sleep and that's how they started that? Yeah. Or yeah. or or if Rain and Blood didn't start with Angel mm. of Death. And then yeah, and just listen, it's a completely different you know world we live in now. But um, I, I'm happy that. You know, I grew up when I grew up and you, know, you guys probably as well experienced, you know, listening to an album in order because it was too difficult, you know, whether it be cassette or records to skip over things, even CDs, like, you know, it was nice to listen to the CD in order. Um, and most importantly, to be able to see a band and not have any knowledge of like, you know, seeing them on YouTube, there's clips circulating, you have no idea what's going to happen when you go to a Slayer show for the first time, you've only heard rumors. Uh, there is nothing better than that. And nobody, <laughs> that'll never happen again because of, you know, the digital digital age we live in. But to be able to go to those shows, not knowing what to expect. I mean, it was awesome, you know, opening a present on Christmas Day, but it was better, like 10 times better to be able to walk into a Metallica Slayer show and not know what was going to happen. You had just heard rumors. People get killed at Slayer show. You, you're, <laughs> you're scared. You know, and documentary, I think, points that out. We all yeah, were afraid walking into that Slayer show that we were going to get killed. <laughs> Everybody, we might get killed. We, we got to go. <laughs> well, we got to go. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and can't we miss can tell this. everybody we survived. We have war stories for oh, the rest yeah. of our lives. Oh, you guys went to a Slayer show? No way. <laughs> yeah. When when DJ and I were coming up, like we, like, we knew the, the people that were like the generation above us. And like, even they, like we knew some pretty like scary guys and they were scared of Slayer shows. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, yeah, like that, that's not, that's always been the thing. Mm-hmm. It was like, like for, this is what I heard. Like the two scariest shows to go to, like, or at, you know, at their prime, it was Slayer and Pantera. Those were the two roughest crowds. Like everything else, it's just kind of yeah. like, it's all kind of stock. It all just kind of blends together. It's not like, oh, you've been to an Exodus pit. That's nothing compared to a dark angel pit. Like it's, it's not, it was just like, <laughs> it was like, it was Slayer, Pantera and everything else. Er, yeah, no, nothing Slayer, else Slayer, had that I mean, reputation. I mentioned that, um, that Anthrax, Exodus, Celtic Frost, Celtic Frost show. And I remember in between one of the bands, they played Slayer. And we, I, I'd still at that point, I'd never seen Slayer before. And just playing Slayer in between bands, people were like going nuts and jumping over, you know, chairs and ripping stuff up. And we're just like, oh my God, we're just not a even tape. here. And this is what's it's happening. Just a, it's just a tape. Calm down, you animal. We're trying to enjoy this concert. And you mentioned Pantera. Pantera, you know, played here in New York at the Nassau Coliseum. I remember going, I was on the floor. Uh, Prong and Sepultura opened, although Sepultura, for whatever reason, couldn't get in the country, so they didn't play. But I'll, I'll never forget one of my That's favorite stories is I was wearing a white T-shirt, KNAC, which is a, a, a L.A. radio station that used to be. Now it's oh, yeah. KNAC.com. And I was wearing this white tank top and somebody comes out of the Pantera pit, a little bit smaller than me, but like bleeding. And he leans up on my shirt oh, and I look down I'm like, oh, dude, what are you doing? And I pushed <laughs> him away. But I got blood all over me now. 
And all night long, people were coming up to me. They're going, dude, you're bleeding. And I said, it's not my blood. And then they're like, oh, I just run away. Get some street cred. Yeah, I, I, I tried. You want to add to it? In my best Road Warriors voice, if you guys are wrestling fans, the Road Warriors. Oh, I thought. Oh, I. Team. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it's not my blood. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, I yeah, would... I, I, Slayer and Pantera Pits can be pretty hardcore. Yeah, and you were uh, interviewing <laughs> Phil Anselmo, and my gosh, it, it that must have been. Uh, Did you ever go to his haunted house? <laughs> or was uh, it? I, I, I think the haunted house was was on the tour bus. It was a it, it was a very difficult time. I would imagine. I have no idea what was going on. I can only guess. Uh, he's not in the film that often. Um, listen. You know, you you can you see what you see, but <laughs> yeah, he couldn't not... could not have been any nicer. Yeah, and, um, you know, good, good quotes. And, and not, and I, I'm, I'm telling you guys that Metallica were really cool, and Phil was really cool. They were. There were I assume they were, were not, all. There were cool. people that were not cool. I don't oh, know that you no. think that everybody was was great, and it was oh, all wow. roses, roses okay. and daisies and whatnot. For whatever state Phil was in, and it looked like he was probably not in a good place at that time. Um, it was before a, uh, a super joint ritual show at Lamora that I filmed with him. But listen, again, the guy could not have been any nicer. Right. And he was so open and interested in talking about metal and mm-hmm. Celtic Frost and like anything. Like he was diving deeper than I was even asking him to go. No, so, no doubt. Um, it was, it was, it's difficult to watch at times, I, I think. But, you know, on the flip side, you see where he was and where he is now. Exactly. And like, you know... Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty uh pretty stark difference, you know. He's he's on stage. I just saw them at Lamb of God out in Pennsylvania, you know, oh, wow. fifteen thousand fans cheering him on on stage oh, as amazing. opposed to you know what you saw him get thrashed. Oh, but again, sure. guy was uh, super nice, super friendly. Not everybody was like that. <laughs> I could Im- only imagine, you know. It, yeah. It's funny that the guys you might not expect are sweethearts. <laughs> are you know? Yeah. And it's yeah, cool to hear those stories too. Like we, we need to know who, you know, who's a good person. Or, it's you know, a, it's like, important to know who, who we should try to reach out to, to have on our mm-hmm. show. You know, it's good to know beforehand who would be a good guest. Cause you know, they're not like, all going to be a good Phil's guest. Just, yeah. Phil's just a big metal fan, you know? So if you're there to talk about metal, whether you have a iPhone or, or, or a whole crew with you, or you don't have any camera, like he's so, He's so into it. Like he's really, really into it. So if you want to talk to him about metal, whether it was forget thrashed or something else, like he's a great guy to talk to because well, he'll we- talk to you for hours until managers have to actually you know, pull him <laughs> away. And so you got to right. go up on stage. And again, dude, I'm there. It's just me and a camera. I'm on his tour bus. There's no room for lights. So it's not like I'm, I've got some big MTV crew with me. He's just talking to two of us. And again, he, you know, was on his bus for an hour talking to him. He didn't have to do that. And a lot of bands know. didn't do that. <laughs> I could only imagine. Yeah. You interviewed a lot of bands, a lot of big names. <laughs> I, you know, I tried to include as many, many bands as I could for a bunch of reasons. One, because I, I know as a fan and fans out there, you know, they want to see their favorites. I don't want people to say we forgot about this band or that band. I also wanted to be able to ask them these questions to, you know, really get a consensus of like, you know, who are the most important people, bands, and players in this film? You know, as I was mentioning before, you know, if if somebody, one person out of 50 people I interviewed are mentioning, you know, that this band is important, 
you know, it's one out of 50. So we probably are not going to be able to spend too much time on it. I didn't want people to think that I picked and choose who mm-hmm. was important because they were my favorites. What I can do is I can say I have 50 interviews here. From those 50 interviews, this is what most of the people said was important to them. And they were there. It was their scene. It was their band. I'm just documenting this. So that's why I tried to get as many as possible. Plus, it was just cool. I got to meet all my favorite bands. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> is, there, is, there, is there anyone that, that you just couldn't get a hold of? And I'm not talking about the people that said no, but like... Were there, who who did you try to get that you just couldn't reach? Well, Tom Warrior from Celtic Frost, you know, um, was not able to get him. I couldn't reach him. This is also remember before Facebook. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. My, yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. MySpace exactly. was around, but MySpace was kind of not like the conduit for reaching out and getting yeah. in touch with people. And a lot of so, those so, MySpaces weren't ran by those bands, too. Yeah. Yeah. So so you know, he's the first one that comes to mind that I just did couldn't. You, did you try like? Did you try like Kronos or King Diamond? I don't, they're all, couldn't get a hold of them. I don't yeah, know how to get yeah. a hold of them because I, I don't believe at the time they were on any record labels. And that normally was the first place that I would go. Hey, here's my record label list from MTV and working on Headbangers Ball. If these bands are not on a label, I, I'm in trouble because now I got to go to the MySpace page or I got to go online and try to figure out how to find them. And it's not like, you know, go on Blabbermouth and find, you know, Craig mm-hmm. Lissacero's phone number from Forbidden. You know, Craig, Greg is another guy from Forbidden. I, you know, I would have loved to have interviewed him in the pre-Facebook era. How do you find these people? So it's very difficult. But like you said, there are there were people that said no. You know, Mike Muir from Suicidal. He said there's, you know, a lot of documentaries going on right now. You know, I don't think I want to be involved, you know. But he did give us permission to use his music, as you see in the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's, well, that's from, that's respectable. I also want to comment. Like, yeah, it's like no, Schmier who are you? from destruction. Yeah. Um, I I showed up and um, he said I have no voice and I'm barely going to be able to do the show tonight, so I can't do the interview. So we were unable to get him. No, that, um, I understand that too. Uh, Jason, you know, Jason was in Voivod at the time, and Jason said he was sick and he couldn't do the interview. So J- uh, you know. Jay Sonic, you mean? Jason Newstead. Yeah. Jasonic? He's, he's, yeah, credited, totally. he's credited as Jasonic on that album. Yeah. Jasonic was unavailable. He had a flu or something. So, you know, it happens. But um, those, those are a few of the guys that I would love to have had, especially Tom from Celtic Frost. What? Well, yeah. That, Celtic yeah. or Celtic? I mean, I, I could do. Oh, gosh. Ways. Oh, gosh. We're going to get the oh, hate mail. Yeah. Someone said it wrong. <laughs> 50% of us is wrong. I don't know which is which. Ah, oh, jeez, we're, we're embarrassing. Going, I grew up Celtic Frost, but now even more, you know, it's supposed to be Celtic, but. I, I, I grew up Celtic, but you know, the, it's, no one calls them the Boston Celtics. The Celtics. Because that's true. That's true. <laughs> so like, I, I know the band as Celtic Frost and what it really comes down to is, um, it's a band from Switzerland that it's English is probably not their primary language. So whatever they say it is, is what it is. And you could just be wrong because they've mistranslated it. Like uh, I heard the story with merciful fate was King diamond said he honestly did not know it was spelled wrong. I don't know if that's true, but that was the story that I heard is like, why is merciful fate stylistically spelled like that? And then apparently he said, I didn't know it was spelled wrong at the time. Listen, you know, spelling mistakes happen. 
Well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> on my on my Reunion. albums, uh, yeah, on my first release, you know, the the apostrophe was in the wrong spot, and I'm like, oh gosh. So like, there's like there's like ten things up until the album where just it's wrong because the guy who was doing the art for me, like he just, I yeah, I was just so thrilled that he was doing it for free that I just didn't have time to to proofread. Oh, look that he did it wrong. <laughs> yeah, cuz and then I and I happened to see it on someone made a page for me on on Metal Archives. I'm like, "Wait, that's not how it is." And then I look at the logo like, "Oh no." But that was the thing that we used to do with um the the three German bands because you know, they're they're, they're the big three of Europe. They're all from Germany. And we used to yeah. we used to laugh at their at their spelling mistakes and then their their grammar. It was, the it was pronunciation. Really yeah, it was, it was all you know, like it, it's in good fun. It's like still like like prime creator. I have to say that because you know creator has a, a dark period. Even though after Enemy of God, they kind of they got back on track. But uh, them almost all of Sodom. I, I don't. I can't tell you a, a release by them that I dislike. Um, and, and also prime destruction. It's like some of the best records ever created, but you know, we just, you know, when you're 16 and you're, <laughs> you're reading lyrics and, and just the, the lyrics are just, the English is just butchered. It, it's just, it's just funny. It's like, it's a good fun. That, that would be an in- interesting documentary. You know, you had the, uh, the Bay area scene, you know, that mm-hmm. was recently documented, you know, It'd be interesting to see somebody do a documentary or, on the German thrash metal scene. Or how about me, just regional? There would need to be somebody that was there and involved in it and that can access those bands easily with having to fly over to Germany. But I, I certainly would be interested in that. Well, here here's the project. It, instead of it being a, like a German thing, it's just a regional metal documentary. Like you just go, you just go place by place. Cause like, you know, you mentioned in the, like, oh, the, the LA metal scene was this, but like, you know, in New York, you have these, and like, so like these, these regions, they had their own kind of distinct sound almost. Yeah. So you, you could absolutely do like a, like almost a, like a global project. Like you could have people documenting like the Brazilian bands and then you could have people doing like the German ones, is, people doing is, like the Swedish yeah. ones. <clears throat> Maybe we could do some Swedish. Well, I, I mean, I'm thinking more, more like more like the death metal, but or, or oh yeah, 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 I'm thinking. I'm sorry, well, I'm getting my Swedish and Swiss mixed up. Self-trust <laughs> and Corner, Corner, yeah, Swedish death metal, yes, yeah. Like you yeah. could just you could just document all these like places that are like Norwegian black metal is the most or obvious to death one. metal or to yeah. death metal, yeah. Like you, I I think that's a potential project for anyone listening. Rick mm-hmm. won't do it, but you know. <laughs> I got a full time job, man. I'm booked. Yeah, that, hey, I love to get back at the what, metal docks. But what what are you up to now? What are you up to now, Rick? What are you uh, uh, these, currently these working days, on? These days, I'm working on a true crime series for A and E. It's a show called After the First Forty Eight. It's sort of a uh, sister show to a show called The First Forty Eight. The, the idea being, in the first forty eight hours. Uh, cops will do whatever they can to solve the crime because after the first 48 hours, the chances of solving the crime diminish incrementally as the days and hours go by. So it's a true crime uh, show that airs on A&E. And uh, I'm also working on a show uh, called On Patrol Live, which used hmm. to be called Live PD. Oh, okay, think, yeah. It's new if cops. You think of a show, yeah. If you think of cops, mm-hmm. sort of like cops, but if cops was live, 
broadcast live. Live, live, live. Well, cops wasn't live? <laughs> if Cops was live, yes, that's what this show is. And that's also, uh, well, that's on reels on Friday and Saturdays. Wow. So how, how do you how do you compare that to doing a uh, get thrashed? Uh, get thrashed took five years, and it was all <laughs> me sitting in an edit room. Uh, on patrol live is live, and within four or five hours, you've seen people get arrested, sometimes shot and killed, and then it's over. And then you do it again the next day. Now, now so here's here's like my blitzkrieg versus like a, like a, a a war of attrition. It's like Stalingrad versus the entire Pacific theater. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Well, okay, so they're both uh, kind of like a, a a bloody, grueling battle in their own way. But which which one was more tolerable for you? Uh, you talking about Get Thrashed versus the other gigs? No, Stalingrad th- versus Pacific. Obviously, <laughs> Get Thrashed. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I mean, Get Thrashed versus live TV. Listen, I mean, Get Thrashed is, is like I said, my second kid. Like, right. Uh, proud of the film and uh, would do it again. Certainly with the uh, newer digital cameras, 1080 and all that <laughs> stuff that we have. But um, you know, I, I think that, I think the film stands the test of time. And when I was making it, you know, I thought that it really doesn't matter in terms of the amazing lighting or cameras. If you can see and you can hear these people, I think the fans will forgive me for not shooting it in 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter, you know, 1080 4k none of that was available at the time if i could just tell a good story if i can just tell the story that all the fans live through and they can relate to it and they can see themselves in the film if i could just do that if i could just relay my experience which is hopefully the experience of most other thrash metal fans they'll forgive all the warts and all the you know freckles or whatever you know um on the film and there's a lot of them there's a lot of old vhs footage that when you play it on the big screen in the theaters, like we did for the uh, film festival run, kind of breaks up and it looks very grainy and fuzzy. It doesn't look good at all. You know, some of the uh, the interviews were shot, you know, Phil Anselmo on a tour bus, no lights, you know, people in front of garbage pails. <laughs> but you know what? At the end of the day, it's kind of appropriate. It's kind mm-hmm. of appropriate for the genre, you know, well, especially when you still have people coming up to me and say, oh, it's, it's a great you know, great that you did that trash metal don, don, documentary. It's, it's not trash metal. It's thrash metal <laughs> documentary, but okay. <laughs> but it fits. I know I what I said. Stylistically, it fits. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I've, I've seen a, a pretty good number of, of documentaries. And the Phil Anselmo stuff did stand out to me. But it, it almost looked, I, I mean, and I and I'm talking specifically about the framing of it. But I never once thought like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it feels very stylistic. Like you shot, um, uh, Carrie King and Tom Araya here. They're yeah. like sitting on a bed in a hotel room. Like, and then, yeah. and then you have like some, and then like Exodus is in front of the, the Golden Gate Bridge. And then, you know, Blitz is on a park bench. It, it feels, it, it just feels like <laughs> everyone has their own, like, flavor to it and i want to say that was on purpose and it sort of was on purpose but really we were at the mercy of what we were given you know yeah Phil Anselmo was not in a hotel room he was on his tour bus so that's what we had 
you know, I, I couldn't frame it really any differently, to be honest with you, because I'm on a tour bus. I've got no room to do anything. I can't even remember if I had a light in there because it was so tight quarters. I must have had a light, but I don't remember. Um, but that was something that I was forced upon me, but I also embraced. Like, I love the fact that each time somebody pops up, they're in a different spot. You know, and a lot of times, especially working on shows for TV, big networks like A&E, they want everything nice and clean, and we have a certain stylistic look. Everybody's sitting in the in their office with the nice lighting. I really love the fact that we shot everybody in all these different locations because, again, they each have their own personality. Each shoot, each each interview has their own look and personality and feel. And um, it, it was kind of on purpose, but um, I, I, I I am proud of that. It's, it's less boring that way. Like it mm -hmm. more is yeah. going around a, a good example. Do you like star Wars? Sure. Do you like the star Wars prequels? They're okay. Okay. You can say no, if you want George Lucas is no, not. I, listening. I, 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 don't, I don't hate them. Love okay. them. Well, they've been okay. Well, if, if you go, go back and watch empire strikes back and then watch, um, Attack of the Clones, the the way that Empire Strikes Back is filmed versus like Attack of the Clones is like whenever any when there's no action, it's like someone sitting on a couch talking to someone sitting on a chair, and occasionally someone will get up and walk to a window, and then they'll go back to sitting on the chair. It's it's the whole movie. Like right. someone pointed that out, they're like, like all everyone is just sitting on a chair when they're talking. And it, and it's every scene is like that. It's so boring. boring. And, yeah. and and then when you, when you have a bunch of guys, and, and it's not like here's chapter one, Phil and Selmo. Chapter two, Lars. It, it's just like it's all just the way it's all cut together. I don't want to say manically, but it's like n no one. It, it's it's not like these people for a period of time, and it's just everyone is inserted whenever. And not, not that yeah. this, like uh, the way I just described it almost makes it seem like nonsensical and chaotic, but it, it's not, it's all topical. It's paced well. Like I, I wasn't like looking at my watch while watching it, but right. like the way that it is shot, it, it, it feels like not amateurish, but it feels, um, um, like, uh, who's the guy that made the low budget movies in the eighties? Is it Roger Corman? I think it's Roger Corman. Like he did like little shop. I did Roger Corman. But but he he would make all of his movies like really really cheap. Yeah. But they weren't that. but they weren't bad. They were just cheap. Like sure yeah. like there's like oh that set was used in that movie or whatever. But that's how it feels like. It's like okay I only have this much to work with. Let's make it look as good as possible with what I have. That that was the impression that I got. Cause, and, and I've seen plenty of those A&E shows like, uh, what's the, what's, is it the, the drug addict show? Gosh, dang it. Oh. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. Intervention. Intervention. Like <laughs> yeah. It, because of that, it's like everyone is interviewed exactly the same. Sure. Like there's like some like real yeah. footage stuff and then it's a little more raw and gritty, but just everyone else it's filmed exactly the same. So when you see all these people and then. And they're all shot in unique ways. And in the way it's all woven together, it really is. A, it's, it's a really nice product. You should be very proud. And you call it your I second am. son. I really appreciate you saying that because, um, 
it was a lot of time and effort, you know, put into it to, to you know, lay out the story so that fans and non-fans can kind of understand it. And um, like I said, the way it was shot, a lot of it was a product of what, what I was handed, but, you know, tried to always make the best of it. And then eventually it became like, wow, this is, this is great. I love the fact that they're all in different locations because like you said, it's it just, where is, where is the, where are these guys been back at that club? Are they in back of Lamore? Are they in back at Don Hills? Where is this? Are they in a hotel room? If, if Frank Bellow, Frank Bellow, is that, is that at Rick's house? Yes, Frank Bellow was shot in my living room. You shot uh, so, him? So, oh, oh, oh my gosh, Rick Ertz is in favor of violence. You shot yeah. Frank Bellow in his living room? My gosh, what kind yeah. of guess we have on here? Uh, so, so um, like I said, for, I'm glad you, you're saying that because for me watching it, like it's interesting for me to remember all the places where these interviews took place and how what went into setting them up and whatnot. So, you're warming my heart, my violent heart. My, <laughs> my violent heart. Is that, that, that's the, the country song that you're going to write later tonight. <laughs> All right. I'm well, going to, I'm going to, I'm going to write a song for you called my violent heart. I'm going to put a my country song heart. on my next Not album. Not my a, achy breaky heart. <laughs> next ancestors call album. Maybe. Yep. Yep. It's I, I'm going to do it. Yep. Re reconquer. I've already started recording it. excellent album art is done but now i just need to write a country song called my violent heart (laughs) i love it i love it well don't say it until you hear it i'm not a good country songwriter i got got faith in you after the first ancestors (laughs) fall album thank you i'm gonna go on a limb say i'm gonna like it all right perfect DJ, you, I interrupted you to make a terrible joke. So go oh I, no, I, because we've we've <laughs> talked about it. it. It seems like you're a perfect person for us to ask this this non-metal question. But we want to know how many murders or the percentage go unsolved in America. If you might know that, if if you're you know doing that, you know, I sh- I should know that from working on the show. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry, to put you on the spot. I do, I do not. Okay, I, I don't know the answer to that. That's, well, that's a good question. Well, that's a good piggyback because next week we're actually going to do a true crime episode pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah more. You want to tease it right now? You can tease it. Next oh, week. no, 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 no. We'll, we'll, we'll send it to you, but yeah, it's yeah. something that de- definitely, you know, about, I guarantee you, you know, about it. I don't know if you okay. know all the details of it, but let's just say it's something that took place in the South. I guarantee you you know about it just all right is this humpty dumpty falling off the wall because i thought it was an accident no 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 okay you know what that guy had a great fall who has a fall and says boy what a great fall he he went into a million pieces you're gonna tell us he was new new evidence that he was pushed (laughs) no we have uh new dna evidence has come to come to light well see here's the thing like back then i mean the the stories are all fuzzy. I mean, can you can you blame them though? It was relayed to us by a goose. Okay, who 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 can keep the story straight from from a bird? <laughs> but no, it's uh, it's something that took place in uh in the South. You'll you'll know it immediately. Uh, we have we have a, an author and a lawyer, investigator coming on who has a lot of the details of the case. And boy, it it should make a lot of people really question what they know. Because um, you, you as a documentary filmmaker, uh, you you show people what you want them to see. 
you could make anyone look as good or bad as you want to just, just in the editing bay. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it's with a documentary about like thrash metal, it, it's kind of hard to, to smear something like that, you know, because you're covering pretty much a decade, but we're talking about something that was, uh, ah, screw it. I'll tell you, uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to talk to, a, we're going to be talking about the West Memphis three. Hey, I was going to ask, does this have mm. anything to do with, uh, you know, the West Memphis three and the guys, yeah. Yeah. Joel, uh, that did the Metallica documentary. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, we're at, yeah, we're having oh. a different guy mm. on. Yeah. It's a, a lawyer and investigator and, um, yeah. oh boy, oh boy. The, the things that people do not know, it will shock you. Right. And I was going to ask because, you know, they're, they're, those, uh, those kids were certainly, uh, you know, uh, metalheads right and um there's a tie-in to that metallica documentary because the guys who did the metallica documentary did a documentary on the west memphis three so i, I think a lot of metal fans mm-hmm. like myself are familiar with them for that reason because the directors of the metallica some kind of monster doc did a documentary on the west memphis three which um which was very very well done but again opens it up to i think a metal audience that could uh understand and maybe familiar with the topic when you guys discuss it so yeah because yeah D- no, dj no. the dj and i we do know some things about this and uh yeah we'll we'll keep we'll keep it uh close to the chest until the episode but yeah. uh i i urge everyone you know stay tuned for next week's episode because uh it it's it's gonna it's it's gonna rock your socks <laughs> <laughs> well uh rick you have been an absolute delight what what mm-hmm. Would would you like to plug anything and everything that you you possibly can? Listen, I would just say that uh, if you're a metal fan and um, you like thrash metal or just metal in general, you know, check out Get Thrashed. The easiest place to find it these days is on Amazon Prime. Uh, I hear it's on something called Tubi as well. I don't know what that is, but that's great. And um, you know, getthrashed.com if you you know really want a DVD or a T-shirt. You know, you could certainly go to getthrash.com or if you just want me to want to see uh, me in a destruction shirt in uh, 1986, you can, you can do that as well. But, um, you know, I'm proud of the film and I'm proud that, you know, people like yourselves are still discovering it and enjoying it 15 years after it was released. And, um, you know, it's cool. And, uh, like I said, Amazon prime, you can check it out. Getthrash.com is more info. I appreciate the opportunity really guys. No, thank you. No, no, thank you for hopping on and thank you for, for making that documentary. I think it's very important. I think everyone should, everyone should just watch it just in general. Um, but yeah, again, like can't appreciate your, your career and your work and, um, your dedication to, to metal. I mean, thank you, Rick. Really appreciate this. Oh, thanks guys. Thank you so much. All right. And thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs>